Hello, hello. My name is Claude Mutome. Welcome to my podcast. I'm a currently a student at UMBC in master. I'm trying to be a math teacher. I know it's really hard, but I have to do it. So today we're gonna talk on my podcast. We're gonna talk about the current issue happening in Maryland, especially Howe County, Maryland, called the registered thing. So for that, we invited guest who is currently a teacher in Howe County Public School and I believe that she's gonna give us a good insight about that issue. Her name is Mrs. Janine Powers. Hello Mrs. Janine Powers, how are you? Hi Mr. Mutume, thank you for introducing me. You're welcome. So, Janine, before we start, I just wanna I just wanna listen to know a little bit a little bit more more about you. So, who are you? What's your pedigree? What's your degree? What did you do? Tell just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, my experience in coming into education is probably a little bit different than most teachers. I actually was not certified to teach. I decided that in during my master's program that I wanted to be a teacher. So I ended up enrolling in the resident teacher program that is hosted by Baltimore City Public Schools. So there I taught for four years. I was actually a physical education teacher at the high school level. Um, the school there was um, uh, a neighborhood school is what it is referred to. It was not one of the magnet schools that they have. And after my four years there, I moved to Howard County where I taught for 11 years as a physical education, education teacher at the middle school level. And then I did one year at the middle school level of ESOL. And then I moved on to teaching ESOL at the elementary school level. So I actually am in my 26th year of teaching. And I'm in my wow. 11th year of teaching ESOL. Wow. That's a really, really big record. So you did all those years. So I think, so you're pretty familiar with all the dynamic that's going on right now. I, I think that I am. I think the experience that I had in the neighborhood schools of Baltimore City, which was primarily an African-American school, um, at the high school level, and then I moved to actually one of the schools in Harrah County that is at probably the highest level of the socioeconomic status in Harrah County. Um, and now I'm at a school in Harrah County that is uh, actually considered to be high farms level of students. Um, but it's also a very, very diverse population, which I truly enjoy. I, my students in the ESOL program are from many different continents. So that's something that I really love about where I currently am teaching. I heard you say farms. And that word was really, really, really mentioned a lot about the registering thing. So first of all, could you uh, tell us why did they start the registration thing and uh, what kind of relationship has farms and relationship and registration thing? 
Okay, so originally Dr. Martirano presented a plan that looked at three different components when he was looking at redistricting. Now, all of this... Sorry to catch you. Who is Dr. Martirano? Dr. Martirano is the superintendent of the Howard County Public School System. Oh, okay. Okay, so his plan, which was originally proposed in August, was set up to make sure that there were appropriate feeder schools leading into all of the high schools and that it would easily be able to then send students to the next high school being built, um, the 13th high school. Um, and there were three areas that he looked at. He looked at the farms, which is essentially the percentage of students in each school that is receiving free or reduced meals. That's what farm stands for. And then he also looked at the capacity that is being utilized of each school And then the third thing he looked at was the ESOL population of each school. Um, when the new plans came out, both the farms and the capacity of each school was still considered, but the ESOL data was no longer part of the redistricting plan um, proposals. Okay, good. Good. So we saw in club that... Uh, So I want to shift a little bit about, I want to talk about the registration, but I want to shift a little bit about, so we saw in, in our class that uh, I read a text, an article called, uh, I read a text from Lanzo, Gloria Latson Billing, where she said, uh, she talked about cultural, culturally relevant pedagogy or teaching. So she said that uh, she defined culture, culturally relevant pedagogy as a classroom practice that empowers students to maintain cultural integrity while she's succeeding academically. So, and for me, the the purpose that I see from the registering is to uh, maintain the culturally relevant pedagogy or teaching. So from your point of view, How does the registration affect the cultural relevant pedagogy to you as a teacher? Well, I think what we're part of the redistricting is looking at is, um, you know, I know some people were very upset. They were saying we are already very, very diverse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in some cases along ethnic lines. But what also needs to be considered is socioeconomic lines as well. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the purposes to the redistricting. Um, you know, research has shown that schools that have a percentage of greater than 30% farm students tend to not have as high uh, as um, per student performance necessarily. And that that was one of the goals of the redistricting is to not just improve performance of all of those students, but actually of all students, and essentially allowing students to work with one another at a younger age and, and at all times throughout their school careers. Um, so the relevance of the cultural pedagogy, I think what that means as a teacher in the classroom is that the teachers will have to be prepared, that they will possibly encounter not only different ethnic cultures than what they may normally have had in their classroom, okay. but they may also very well experience differences 
in socioeconomic status, which is, you know, again, part of, you know, is a culture in and of itself. So classroom teachers have to be prepared for that. So I know as an example, in my school, at one point, um, there was an assignment that discussed about, uh, you know, when they were doing Mother's Day cards or Father's Day cards, some teachers have moved away from that quite a bit because some students may not necessarily still have their mother or father present in their lives and they didn't want to single that child out. So that would be something that would acknowledge like the you know, cultural pedagogy, you know, make sure you're doing assignments that wouldn't necessarily embarrass or make a child feel uncomfortable. Okay. That'd be good. I heard you talk about the social economy status. Status. I heard about it. So, so do you think because we have found out, we found out that uh, the academic success is that the academic success from uh, Yoso, Yoso, which is another auto, uh, which is an auto, which is really a big auto in education. He's he said that academic success is standardized according to the performance of the dominant group and we found out the dominant group especially how county are the white group so they have the the whole advantage so do you think that the registration is gonna affect the white dominant group or not what's your point of view um i believe that the redistricting again will affect Um, some schools, not all, and that the populations, again, will become more diverse ethnically as well as socioeconomically. So I don't know that any school based on the current plan that is already predominantly white will no longer be predominantly white. I think they still will be. It's just that there might be a larger population that is not white within that school. It could be that the... Um, And the same is also true for um, the Asian population, because I know that some of our schools have a very high Asian population, such as the one that wow. I worked at with initially in Howard County. Um, it was almost 50% Asian versus about, I think it was like 42% white. And then the remainder was, you know, other ethnicities. So um For the most part, I think most schools that are currently predominantly white are going to stay predominantly white, but there will be a greater balance, balancing of ethnicities within schools. Okay, so you think that, so you think that the registering is gonna really put a good balance between different schools? I think it will start that process. Okay. Um, I do believe that there are certain schools that. Um, just because of the makeup of where they are and the, the people that live there that they, they necessarily won't become more ethnically diverse than they are. There are some schools in the redistricting plan that aren't even touched by the redistricting, okay. um, especially out in Western Howard County. It's such a vast area with, with only so many people living in that area that um, it's pretty much untouched. The areas that are truly being touched are the, obviously the higher density populate, populated areas. Okay. So, so, wow, you really, you really 
really opened my eyes. And now I understand a little bit more about uh, why they need they needed to do the registration thing. But I want to know, like moving a little bit forward, how would how do you think teach uh, how do you think the teacher are gonna adjust to teaching more a diverse classroom? In the incoming year, if the registration plan will really be complete? Well, I think one method of doing that is to look more at um, taking in information from the students. And I know for me, um, the school that I teach at, I have a very diverse population, but my students often stay at my school for a long period of time. They stay with me from kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, many of those students are being redistricted to other schools. So now we're going to be getting in new students. And just as my students are leaving, there's going to be a lot of anxiety for those students. Okay. And we're really going to have to dig deep and you know, adjust our practices so that we're getting greater input from students and helping to make them feel comfortable in the classroom and that we're finding out more about them as students and as people so that we can gear our teaching towards what best works for them and their learning styles. So you agree like, like Carrie? who's another big author in education, you agree that the cultural world needs to be valued in education as well as as well and should be a measure of your academic success. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, because that's what motivates students. If I don't actually um, encompass those areas that interest them or of value to them, the student wouldn't necessarily be interested in learning the material. So often what we try to do is we present the information and then we ask the students like, how can you apply this to your own life? What does this remind you about? Have you ever experienced this before? So we try to draw from their background experience, especially in my case, um, you know, I have students from many different countries. So I already have a diverse population and I have to ask them, how does this relate to the information you already know? Um, okay. and what you've okay. experienced in your own life. So I think yeah. more teachers will be doing that rather than just doing a standard curriculum that is presented to them. They'll see that they have to reach in and find out more about the child and and what they need to do to motivate that child to participate at their highest level so that they can achieve the best that they can. So for so it means that they need to have a really, really high culturally relevant pedagogy or teaching. They really need that. I think they do. I think they also have to have the, you know, I know we're talking about cultural pedagogy, but in many ways, I think it's, um, if you look at each individual student as that, an okay. individual, you're actually, um, you're you're helping them to, not, not, not only yourself to discover who they are, but you're helping the child discover who they are as well. Because, you know, often I'll ask the children, you know, go back and ask your parents about this, you know, What, what are the fairy tales from your culture? So they'll have to go home and ask their parents in their first language, what's the fairy tale in their culture? And then they will return to me and they'll, you know, they'll have to well, we, we work together to then translate that into English. So that would be an example of, you know, um, using their own personal culture. Okay. So Banks, the author Banks, he said that teacher needs to incorporate classroom practice that aid in reducing student stereotype and discriminatory practice for and assist and they also need to assist in the development on of a development of an empowering school culture 
So from that, I'm sorry. Could you just tell me the second part of that? I will say. I will repeat myself. So, teacher needs to incorporate classroom practice that aid in reducing student stereotype and discriminatory practices, and assist in the development of an empowering, empowering, empowering school culture. So from that, I want to ask you. I did my research at your school. Roughly 58% of the school at, of the student at your school receive free and reduced lunch. So do you see a correlation between race and those that receive free and reduced lunch? Actually, that's a really interesting question to ask me as the ESOL teacher. Yeah. Um, that's actually a piece of information that teachers are not supposed to have access to. So that list of students who are our, our farms, essentially, is supposed to be private. Sorry, but, I did uh, my research. Sorry. Uh, right, sorry. because the, the percentage is um, yeah. is actually posted on the newsletters of every school, yep. Yep. but we aren't supposed to know who the students are. Okay. So as the ESOL teacher, I often assist families with filling out forms or they come to me if they need special assistance with something. And of course, being immigrants, many of these families are coming to this country with little to nothing with them. So I actually, and then we also have another special program in our school that if the children child is receiving from that program, then you can, of course, realize that that child is also farms as well. But um, wow. because it's a program that's set up to provide them with extra food over the weekend. Okay. So when you see that that child's receiving that backpack, you know that they are on that list. Yeah, but do you think it's not like a, it's like profiling a kid? So like, okay. Well, that's what I wanted to speak to. Okay. Because many, I think that also is something that I noticed during the arguments against the redistricting is that many uh, communities were very upset about the increase in the farms that they would be receiving. And okay. again, as an ESOL teacher, I have to speak out about that because Many of my students are part of the farms, and most teachers in my school would tell you that my students, the, the students that are new to this country and that are developing the language, that they are probably the best students they have. Um, often these students are coming from other countries and their parents are coming here to provide their children with better lives. So they, they want their children to succeed in school and they take extra steps to help their children do that. They work with them at home. They, one of the first questions I receive from parents is um, they ask me if their child is behaving because they understand that if the child's not behaving, then obviously they can't really be learning. Um, so my students are very, very hardworking. Um, they excel. Often they end up being, you know, uh, above grade level in reading or they're in GT math. And that's all because of the work ethic that they're coming with and the, the value that their families have on education. They may be farm students, but I think that's one of the stereotypes that exists is that we often you know, educators might sometimes associate a farm student with a student being the neediest academically, and that's right. actually yeah. not true. So that's not true. No, it's not true. And so I think also true. sometimes people have this um, stereotype. stereotype that bias, bias and stereotype yeah, bias. that yeah. a farm student is going to be a behavior problem. And I can assure you that the classroom teachers they do not say that about the ESOL students who are often. Um, at least initially, farm students when they enter into the school system. Wow. 
This is really, uh, really, really, that's really, really valuable information because when I read the news, I watched the news, there's so many parents, there's so many uh, people who are really frustrated to have the registering thing happening, especially in this county. Well, and that was another um, point, too, is that you were saying about empowering students. It's not just about empowering the students, but it's also about empowering the families. And I think the school that I'm at is, um, which is one that is being redistricted at a large percentage, um, I think that um, we do a really good job of providing resources to parents, not just financial resources, but we also provide extra opportunities for student learning. Um, you know, I've had students where I reach out to the parents and I say, you know, your child is exceptional at math. You know, there is a Saturday program that you should try have your child go to. So we spend a lot of time helping the, the families in our community um, help their child excel, not just academically, but also in social programs and athletic programs that are available within the community as well. Wow. So, so which means that, so basically, teacher has really, really a higher role. The teacher has, the teacher has the biggest role on that registry because if I read another article like uh, PICOA 2009 state that it's important for a teacher education point to understand when and why these tools these tool are being used in order to develop effective courses in teacher education program to derail, to remove racism in education. So, which basically means that the teacher has to really, really he has, he or she has to be cultural, culturally, black, culturally, culturally aware of what's going on in the class and a different student. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And again, like I said, the farms um, information isn't actually available to us. But I think an important point is for the, each teacher to reach out to the families and really try to develop a relationship with the family wow, you should yeah, not wait yeah. until there's a problem in your classroom to try to develop a relationship with the guardians or the parents of that individual i agree i agree, I agree. because i have a little bit of uh, experience in teaching because i've been volunteering to a, a lot of school because I have my little, little brother who goes to school, who goes to school, um, and I am black like, parent. I'm basically his parent, and uh, really experience uh, to both sides being an assistant teacher and be a parent. And I believe that the relationship between a parent and teacher should be uh, way before the conference and all those parent-teacher conference, all That's those way. It has to be way before because uh, that really, really show the dedication and that really, really show that you really care about the child. And I know that our school has also done a, um, a big promotion on reaching out to parents to tell them the positives. So we were sending home postcards when something positive happened so that, again, you're beginning that relationship with the family before a negative occurs. You want to first, you know, let the parent know that the child, what the child is 
what the child's strengths are and mm-hmm. what they're doing well at. Um, you know, and again, you were talking about being culturally aware. Uh, another thing that I need to make, try to ensure is that like at these conferences, I try to remind people that when you're going to give parents questions to review with your child, mm-hmm. um, you need to provide it in their first language. Because Whoa. often, you know, we want the parent to go home and watch movies, read books with their child, um, which they're going to do in their first language. But the questions also need to be in the first language of the parent as well. And, you know, they, the teachers need to remember to use their tools, such as Google Translate or any interpreters or other community members that we may have that can help translate um, different pieces of information or documents for families. So do you think so? Wow. That was that's really really that's really really interesting. You really really opened my eyes. Like um, I'm speechless now. I understand. I understand why they need to do that and what's the purpose. So, do you think that uh, moving forward, the thing uh, the registration that happened in our county because I see that in other county is starting to happen. So, do you think that moving forward is gonna go to All the state in Maryland, or do you think it's only affect how County because how County has kind of one of the biggest diversity in the state? Well, again, I do believe that this is a movement that we're moving towards, and I remember living in the 70s through the process of the resegregation of schools because, um, you know, again, people started living in areas that they were comfortable with ethnically, even mm-hmm. the city that I grew up in. Um, and then there was a redis- there was a resegregation by closing one school and moving students around so that again, we became resegregated. And I think this time though, it's happening socioeconomically because we're seeing, you know, not just in the schools, are we seeing a greater gap Um, but I think, you know, if you look at the economics of the country, they've been saying that there's becoming a greater divide between the middle class and the lower class or the upper class to the working class. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but that there is that greater divide. And it is best for everyone to know and how to work with each other and how to get along with one another and to overcome any stereotypes and generalizations we might be forming about a different group only because we haven't experienced being with that group. Okay. Thank you, Mrs. Power. So as a conclusion, as a conclusion, I want as a conclusion, how do you think how do you think you're gonna empower students to maintain their cultural integrity integrity while succeeding academically? How are you gonna do? Well, what I do is, personally, what I do is, even though I'm teaching them the the English language that they need for their academics, I actually encourage the families to continue discussions about academics at home in the first language. Because not only is it, a student is not truly bilingual unless they can read and write in a second language. So often by probably the second year of language, I start encouraging families to start writing and reading with their child in their first language or to continue that process if it has already begun and to also continue discussions with their child in that first language. How do you think your colleague who are teaching, for example, English, math, should do to empower students? I think, again, they should um, develop certain parts of the curriculum in the beginning of asking a child, you know, 
What is your background information? What do you know? How does this new piece of information fit in with what you already believe? And, you know, how can we move forward together to have it have make meaning and relevance to yourself? Thank you, Mrs. Powers. I hope uh, I didn't take all your time today. Oh, not at all. I completely enjoyed this experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. So this is the end of my podcast. I hope, hopefully, you guys going to like it. Thank you so much. Have a nice day.